Good morning. That's nice. Huh? Some people out there. All right. We're in the middle of a su- summer series, um, the hard sayings of the Bible. And this morning's hard saying is about the door found in John chapter 10. So I'll begin with the hard saying. Hard question. Do you like God? For some people, that's a hard question. It's a question we should ask over and over again, perhaps, in our lives. And the answer is very important. Do you like God? This morning's gospel reading is meant to force you to make a choice. You must decide right here and now whether you like God or whether you hate him. Most of us do not like this choice. We would rather quietly do what the Bible says or do the conservative thing or to vote for that guy, to disagree with God, and, or to quietly ignore him, right? But to make a choice, an outright, out loud, live your life differently choice, well, for most of us, we say, no, thank you, sir. But today's reading is John chapter 10. Now, to really understand this reading, we need some context. First of all, the reading is a parable. It says right in the passage that it is a figure of speech. So don't take Jesus too literally. He may be the door, but his hinges don't need to be oiled. I may be a sheep, but I've never been sheared. And secondly... Our reading comes from John's gospel. This gospel is an absolute marvel of literary art. The themes stretched throughout, the arrangements of sayings, signs, and, and scenes that wrap around each theme all come together to make a beautiful piece of literature. And John is forthright. John comes out and tells us in chapter 20 that he wrote these things so that we would believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He wrote the gospel for three reasons. One, to glorify God. It was the right thing to do. And two, to give you the opportunity this morning to hear the gospel. What a beautiful thing. And three, that you would make a choice by the end of his story. So John arranges his narrative according to scenes. These scenes usually revolve around a saying like, I am the bread of life, or today, I am the door. Or it'll revolve around a sign like turning water into wine. Each scene concludes with people making a choice to either become Jesus' disciple or to kill him. That's where we are this morning then. We must decide with Jesus' audience whether Jesus is demonized and deserves to be stoned to death or whether he is truly the Son of God and we should follow him with all we are and have. It's as simple as that. 
What do you choose? Again, we may need some context to make this choice. John chapter 10 actually, believe it or not, starts in John chapter 7. Way back three chapters ago, we find Jesus talking to his brothers. Now they have made their choice, it seems. They encourage Jesus to go to Jerusalem, where people want to kill him. A lot of people want to kill him. They, it seems, have chosen to kill Jesus. Jesus does decide to go down to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths, even though he knows people will try to kill him, and they do try. He begins teaching the Jews in the temple. Now, we don't know how he starts this teaching, except that it was mind-blowing, awe-inspiring. What we do know is how Jesus capitalizes on the crowd's awe of his teaching. He begins teaching them plainly that he, a man from Galilee, who has an address, is God Almighty, equal to the Father, this, then, is the basic refrain of chapters 7 through 11. Jesus teaches. He proves that his teaching comes from God with a sign that points to God's character. He says a parable and finally to explain the sign. And finally, people are left with a hard choice. Most often, each scene ends with people trying to stone him to death. And so we arrive to chapter 9, a little bit closer Jesus has just been physically removed from the temple as people began to stone him. And as he was leaving, he healed a man who had been blind since birth. Now, the important thing to note with John's gospel is that this is a sign, not just a miracle. What I mean is, this is a healing miracle, and it's amazing, but it is a miracle meant to point to God's character, to teach us who God is. And the meaning of this particular sign is multifaceted. What is the sign pointing out? First, Jesus heals the sinner from the wealth of his power and grace. He has plenty to go around. He's not the beggar in the story, right? Second, He is the rightful judge over each and every one of us. He says it right in the passage. He says, I healed this man because I judged his blindness to be wrong. That's a paraphrase. And third, he offers sight to each and every person who is spiritually blind and begging. Well, the Pharisees pick up on these meanings, to which they reply to Jesus, What? Are you calling us spiritually blind? In other words, they tell Jesus, we are the spiritual elite. We are the pew sitters, the churchgoers. We're there every Sunday. We know how this ends. We have the law memorized, and the law gives us sight. We are not spiritually blind. And Jesus answers them again, with the same choice, follow me or kill me. And the parable of John chapter 10 that we read this morning is his answer to the Pharisee's question. (coughs) So 
So I'm going to read it again very quickly. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, well, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. <coughs> the parables continue, but we stop there this morning. So I want you to picture the scene. Now erase the, uh, the, the sheep in the pen, not that scene. The scene of Jesus standing in a crowd telling the parable. Jesus stands in the middle. And on his right, maybe, stands a beggar. A man poor his whole life. Blind his whole life. Who has had the most amazing thing happen. He had his sight given back to him. And then the horrible thing happens. He is kicked out of the synagogue excommunicated from the Jews, which means now he's a beggar again, but now no one will give him any pity. And he can't get a job because he's not a member of the synagogue. He's a beggar again, cast out. Now on the other side of Jesus stands the Pharisees. The Pharisees have misused the law in order to kick him out of the synagogue. All around this group, stand a mixture of Jews who want to believe in Jesus, Jews who have stones in their hands ready to kill him, and Jews who don't know what to think. So what is Jesus trying to explain to this mob through this parable? Well, to understand a parable, you often look at the characters. They are the meaning of the parable. And in this story, we have several. We have the sheepfold which is anyone who has been saved and is in the kingdom of God. Then there's the thief. The thief is the Pharisee. The Pharisee has tried to steal God's glory and has tried to steal God's sheep. The wall around the pen over which this thief jumps to steal the sheep, well, this wall is the law of God being misused. The door is Jesus, as he represents the saving grace of God, crucified, died, buried, and resurrected. He is the only way to become a sheep of God. The shepherd is Christ again, and it is referring to the Ezekiel passage read this morning. The stranger, again, is the Pharisee. But here, the G Jesus contrasts the stranger with the sheep of his flock. He says, not only is the Pharisee a thief, but a true follower of Christ would never listen 
to the Pharisee. And finally, the, <coughs> the ever-popular and sometimes misused verse, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's contrasting the blind man to the Pharisee. Often we say that it's the devil who's the thief, and you can get there um, to that idea from the next passage that we didn't read this morning. But I think here it really is the thief is the Pharisee trying to use the gospel to apprehend his way into heaven. The story then explains how we get to heaven. So how are we allowed into God's kingdom? That's an important question. I'm sure we've all formulated answers. And if you closely look at this story, it doesn't matter where the sheep are going so much as where the, or where they're coming in and going out, as much as who the sheep are, their identity. You see, these sheep are not just any sheep. They're the sheep of God. They are valuable. Jesus says he would lay down his very life for each sheep. And the thief comes in to try to steal the sheep because of their value. These sheep belong to God. That is their value. They are his own. They know him and love him. They are chosen by him. And they have made their choice. And so... It comes now, time to talk about you. I'm not talking about your husband or wife or neighbor or friend, your child, your enemy. No, I'm talking about you, friend. More importantly, I'm talking about your soul, your eternal soul. Are you in the flock bound for heaven? Does it sound sweet to you to walk with God wherever he goes? Or are you bound for destruction? Well, if you are bound for, get, for heaven, how do you get there? I want you to actually stop and answer that for yourself. How do you get to heaven? Why should you, my friend, be allowed in? Is it because you have tried so hard? Do you deserve heaven? Do you deserve it? Because I can tell you right now, according to this passage that we're reading this morning, and the whole Bible, the answer to that question is no. You do not deserve heaven. You do not deserve to have your spiritual eyes opened. You are blind, a beggar by the roadside. You have sinned and been born into sin. But you are blind so that the works of God might be displayed in you beautifully. That God would call you his poetry, his workmanship, as he opens your eyes and saves you. Aren't you tired of the strain? Don't your hands get tired of white-knuckling the steering wheel as you try to force your way into heaven? Aren't you exhausted trying to prove that you are good? 
Doesn't your mask hurt from pretending? I know I'm tired. So I will beg for sight. I will beg for grace. And Christ will set me free. He's promised it. So what do you choose? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us make the choice. And I pray that you would show us your love that is unending for each of us. No matter who we are or where we come from or what we've done. Thank you for your mercy that is new every morning and for your grace that is extended to us. Amen.